Hello, everybody, and welcome into the Bible Reading Podcast, episode number 310. Today's big Bible question, how should we respond when our culture will tolerate everything but biblical truth? And of course, we're going to finish our spookiest stories in the Bible series. So hello, friends. Happy Lord's Day. Happy and blessed November to you also. Please join us today for our live stream message at VBC Salinas on Facebook. That's 11 a.m. Pacific time. Our church will stream live. I'll be preaching uh, all you got to do is just go on your Facebook and look for our church site, which is VBC Salinas, Victor Bravo Charlie Salinas. We'd love to have you. Uh, and if you jump on, please say, be sure and say hello. Our Bible readings today begin with 2 Kings 14, then Psalm 120, 121, 122, also Hosea chapter 7 and 2 Timothy 4. Today we finish up our spookiest stories in the Bible series with the best one yet, about a man who returned from beyond the grave and suddenly appeared in a locked room, terrifying a group of already afraid men. I bet you can't guess who that is. But first, let's talk for a minute about a dead-on prophetic word that Paul gave Timothy many years ago. In the last two chapters of Second Timothy, Paul appears to know that his time on earth is drawing to a close, and he wants to prepare his protege, Timothy, for this and for running his own race well. In doing so, the Holy Spirit through Paul has also trained up generation after generation of people after Timothy to proclaim the good news to a stubborn and obstinate world who wants to reject it. In 2 Timothy 4, Paul tells Timothy how to handle things when he is in a culture that rejects truth. Paul's ominous warning of a time coming when people won't tolerate sound doctrine and Bible teaching just like in chapter 3, sounds eerily like the age that you and I find ourselves in. We should take some comfort in that, knowing that God knew this day was coming, that we are given counsel on how to live in such a time when people basically reject Bible truth. So let's read 2 Timothy chapter 4 and discuss it. This is 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1 in the Christian Standard Bible. I solemnly charge you, Before God in Christ Jesus, who is going to judge the living and the dead, and because of his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season, correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and teaching, for the time will come when people will not tolerate sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, will multiply teachers for themselves because they have an itch to hear what they want to hear. They will turn away from hearing the truth and will turn aside to myths, but as for you, Exercise self-control in everything. Endure hardship. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time for my departure is close. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. There is reserved for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on that day, and not only to me, but to all those who have loved his appearing. Make every effort to come to me soon. Because Demas has deserted me since he loved this present world and has gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. Bring Mark with you, for he is useful to me in the ministry. I have sent Tychicus to Ephesus, and when you come, bring the cloak I left in Troas with Carpus, as well as the scrolls, especially the parchments. Alexander the coppersmith did great harm to me. 
The Lord will repay him according to his works. Watch out for him yourself, because he strongly opposed our words. At my first defense, no one stood by me, but everyone deserted me. May it not be counted against them. But the Lord stood with me and strengthened me, so that I might fully preach the word, and all the Gentiles might hear it. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil work and will bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet Prisca and Aquila and the household of Onesiphorus. Erastus has remained at Corinth. I left Trophimus sick at Miletus. Make every effort to come before winter. Eubulus greets you, as do Pudens, Linus, Claudia, and all the brothers and sisters. The Lord be with your spirit. Grace be with you all. So Paul says that there will be a time when people will flee from sound Bible teaching and flock to Bible teachers who don't teach the word, but teach whatever is popular and palatable to the culture. I believe that examples of this dynamic abound right now as we see that there are just a lot of, not every large and growing church, but a lot of large and growing churches in the United States that seem to be really dynamic and lively and professional, but at least some of them are not appearing to to teach the Word of God faithfully. So how must Christians live in that sort of climate? Should they move to another country and start afresh? Should they build communes in the woods and only see each other? Should they completely unplug from society and hunker down until Jesus returns? Should they start blogs and post messages on the internet constantly criticizing people? I don't think they should do any of those things. Actually, I think we should do what Paul tells Timothy to do. Proclaim the word of God with great patience, encouraging, rebuking, correcting people, and teaching the word of God with endurance. There's no other antidote for a running away from God's truth than the continual and patient proclamation of that same truth. So do this work, dear friends, the faithful, enduring work of an evangelist, and you will be storing up crowns for yourself in heaven. All right, one more spooky story, and this is the most amazing of them all. The number one spookiest Bible story, the man who returned from the dead. Have you ever heard the term miscarriage of justice? It usually refers to a situation in which the legal authorities or government inflict punishment on a person who is innocent. Considering what miscarriage means, we can tell that this is a very strong term that denotes a terrible event. Oddly enough, there is an even stronger legal term for a terrible, terrible justice event, something that goes beyond a miscarriage of justice in the same way that a hurricane is beyond a thunderstorm in power and devastation, though both are storms. A tragedy of justice is that stronger term, and it refers to an extreme and deliberate miscarriage of justice, one in which the authorities intentionally and with malice convict somebody of a crime, knowing they are fully innocent. Such a horror happens in the Bible. An innocent man is convicted of high treason on the testimony of false witnesses that the government themselves hired. Despite protests, the innocent and beloved man is executed publicly in the most embarrassing, terrifying, and painful way possible. Now, if this was a movie, it would sound like a recipe for vengeance from beyond the grave, right? And sure enough, a few short days after this innocent man's execution, 
his friends were gathered together in mourning in a locked room because they were afraid that they would be the next ones to be executed. And all of a sudden, the innocent man returns, appearing suddenly and dramatically in a locked room. And his father's followers cry out, Ah, it's a ghost, a ghost! And they are terrified. Maybe you know the story, but we can read about it in Luke chapter 24. Verses 36 through 43. As the disciples were talking, Jesus himself stood in their midst, and he said to them, Peace to you. But they were startled and terrified and thought that they were seeing a ghost. Why are you troubled? He asked them. Why do doubts arise in your hearts? Look at my hands and my feet. It's I, myself. Touch me and see. Because a ghost does not have flesh and bones, as you can see I have. Having said this, he showed them his hands and feet. But while they were still amazed and in disbelief because of their joy, he asked them, Do you have anything here to eat? So they gave him a piece of a broiled fish, and he took it and ate it in their presence. So, of course, Jesus was the innocent man killed by his own people in a travesty of justice, and yet here he is risen from the grave and appearing, not as a ghost, but as a real flesh and blood person who can eat fish. Surely now that he's back, he will have his revenge on the people who conspired to kill him, right? This is a story for a vengeance, and it's time for payback, right? Well, actually, no, that's not how the story goes. Jesus returned from the grave, and having overcome death, he commissions his disciples to first wait until they are clothed with power by the Holy Spirit, and then he tells them to go and take his good news to a lost and dying world. So the followers of Jesus were not sent out with a mission of vengeance, but a message of good news and a mandate to teach the world about their master, Jesus. They were to present good news to the world, the good news that all who believe in Jesus and become his followers will overcome death like he did and have eternal life in heaven. So, how can you be a part of this good news promise? Well, I'm glad you asked. First of all, I need to tell you that you don't have to do anything. The work has already been done by Jesus himself. Almost every religion on earth is about what humans must do to reach God and be saved by him. Go study the other religions. Find out they're all about what you've got to do to climb the mountain to God and to please him and to go to heaven or whatever. World religions are all about the various rules to be followed, sacrifices to be made, and actions to be done in order to gain God's favor and blessing. Following Jesus is not like that. Christianity is about what Jesus has done for us, how God reached humanity. He paid the price on the cross for our sins so that by his sacrifice, all who look to him in faith will be saved and have eternal life. It's not a question of what to do, but who to believe in. So right now, I urge you to believe in Jesus, you and your family. Believe that he died on the cross to pay the penalty for your sin and mine. Believe that God raised him from the dead. Believe that in him, in Jesus, you will have everlasting life in heaven. Believe in his teachings and follow them and follow him. Believe that he is the way, the truth, and the life. Turn to him wholeheartedly and pursue him with your life. All that come to Jesus in this way, trusting him for salvation and not your own goodness or good works, will be saved eternally. And that's why we call it the good news. 
Well, let's continue reading in 2 Kings chapter 14, verse 1. In the second year of Israel's king Jehoiash, son of Jehoiahaz, Amaziah, son of Joash, became king of Judah. He was 25 years old when he became king, and he reigned 29 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Jehoiadan. She was from Jerusalem. He did what was right in the Lord's sight, but not like his ancestor David. He did everything his father Joash had done, yet the high places were not taken away, and the people continued sacrificing and burning incense on the high places. As soon as the kingdom was firmly in his grasp, Amaziah killed his servants who had killed his father the king. However, he did not put the children of the killers to death, as it is written in the book of the law of Moses, where the Lord commanded, Fathers are not to be put to death because of children, and children are not to be put to death because of fathers. Instead, each one will be put to death for his own sin. Amaziah killed 10,000 Edomites in Salt Valley. He took Selah in battle and called it Jokthil, which is still its name today. Amaziah then sent messengers to Jehoiash, son of Jehoiahaz, son of Jehu, king of Israel, and challenged him, Come, let's meet face to face. King Jehoiash of Israel sent word to King Amaziah of Judah, saying, The thistle in Lebanon once sent a message to the cedar in Lebanon, saying, Give your daughter to my son as a wife. Then a wild animal in Lebanon passed by and trampled the thistle. The thistle. You have indeed defeated Edom, and you have become overconfident. Enjoy your glory and stay at home. Why should you stir up such trouble that you fall, you and Judah with you? But Amaziah would not listen, so King Jehoiash of Israel advanced. He and King Amaziah of Judah met face to face at Beth Shemesh that belonged to Judah. Judah was routed before Israel, and each man fled to his own tent. King Jehoiash of Israel captured Judah's king Amaziah, son of Joash, son of Ahaziah, at Beth Shemesh. Then Jehoiash went to Jerusalem and broke down 200 yards of Jerusalem's wall from the Ephraim gate to the corner gate. He took all the gold and silver, all the articles found in the Lord's temple, and in the treasuries of the king's palace, and some hostages. Then he returned to Samaria. The rest of the events of Jehoiash's reign, along with his accomplishments, his might, and how he waged war against King Amaziah of Judah, are written in the historical record of Israel's kings. Jehoiash rested with his ancestors, and he was buried in Samaria with the kings of Israel. His son Jeroboam became king in his place. Judah's king Amaziah, son of Joash, lived 15 years after the death of Israel's king Jehoiash, son of Jehoiahaz. The rest of the events of Amaziah's reign are written in the historical record of Judah's kings. A conspiracy was formed against him in Jerusalem, and he fled to Lachish. However, men were sent after him to Lachish, and they put him to death there. They carried him back on horses, and he was buried in Jerusalem with his ancestors in the city of David. Then all the people of Judah took Azariah, who was 16 years old, and made him king in place of his father Amaziah. After Amaziah, the king rested with his ancestors. Azariah rebuilt Aleph and restored it to Judah. In the 15th year of Judah's king Amaziah, son of Joash, Jeroboam, son of Jehoiash, became king of Israel in Samaria, and he reigned 41 years. He did what was evil in the Lord's sight. He did not turn away from all the sins Jeroboam, son of Nebat, had caused Israel to commit. He restored Israel's border from Lebo Hamath as far as the Sea of Arabah, according to the word the Lord, the God of Israel, had spoken through his servant, 
the prophet Jonah, son of Amittai, from Gath-Hefer. For the Lord saw that the affliction of Israel was very bitter for both slaves and free people. There was no one to help Israel. The Lord had not said he would blot out the name of Israel under heaven, so he delivered them by the hand of Jeremiah, son of Jehoiash. The rest of the events of Jeroboam's reign, along with his accomplishments, the power he had to wage war, and how he recovered for Israel, Damascus, and Hamath, which had belonged to Judah, are written in the historical record of Israel's kings. Jeroboam rested with his ancestors, the kings of Israel. His son Zechariah became king in his place. Psalm chapter 120, verse 1. In my distress, I called to the Lord, and he answered me, Lord, rescue me from lying lips and a deceitful tongue. What will he give you, and what will he do to you, you deceitful tongue? A warrior's sharp arrows with burning charcoal. What misery that I have stayed in Meshach, that I have lived among the tents of Kedar. I have dwelt too long with those who hate peace. I am for peace, but when I speak, they are for war. Psalm 121, verse 1. I lift my eyes towards the mountains. Where will my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. He will not allow your foot to slip. Your protector will not slumber. Indeed, the protector of Israel does not slumber or sleep. The Lord protects you. The Lord is a shelter right by your side. The sun will not strike you by day or the moon by night. The Lord will protect you from all harm. He will protect your life. The Lord will protect your coming and going both now and forever. Psalm 122, verse 1. I rejoiced with those who said to me, Let's go to the house of the Lord. Our feet were standing within your gates, Jerusalem. Jerusalem, built as a city should be, solidly united, where the tribes, the Lord's tribes, go up to give thanks to the name of the Lord. This is an ordinance for Israel. There thrones for judgment are placed, thrones of the house of David. Pray for the well-being of Jerusalem. May those who love you be secure. May there be peace within your walls, security within your fortresses. Because of my brothers and friends, I will say, may peace be in you. Because of the house of the Lord our God, I will pursue your prosperity. Hosea chapter 7 verse 1. When I heal Israel, the iniquity of Ephraim and the crimes of Samaria will be exposed, for they practice fraud. A thief breaks in, a raiding party pillages outside, but they never consider that I remember all their evil. Now their actions are all around them. They are right in front of my face. They please the king with their evil, the princes with their lies. All of them commit adultery. They are like an oven heated by a baker who stops stirring the fire from the kneading of the dough until it is leavened. On the day of our king, the princes are sick with the heat of wine. There is a conspiracy with traitors, for they, their hearts like an oven, draw him into their oven. Their anger smolders all night, in the morning it blazes like a flaming fire. All of them are as hot as an oven, and they consume their rulers. All their kings fall. Not one of them calls on me. Ephraim has allowed himself to get mixed up with the nations. Ephraim is unturned bread baked on a griddle. Foreigners consume his strength, but he does not notice. Even his hair is streaked with gray, but he does not notice. Israel's arrogance testifies against them, yet they do not return to the Lord their God, and for all this they do not seek him. So Ephraim has become like a silly, senseless dove. They call to Egypt and they go to Assyria. As they are going, I will spread my net over them. I will bring them down like birds of the sky. I will discipline them in accordance with the news that reaches their assembly." Woe to them, for they fled from me. Destruction to them, for they rebelled against me. 
Though I want to redeem them, they speak lies against me. They do not cry to me from their hearts. Rather, they wail on their beds. They slash themselves for grain and new wine. They turn away from me. I trained and strengthened their arms, but they plot evil against me. They turn, but not to what is above. They are like a faulty bow. Their leaders will fall by the sword. Because of their insolent tongue, they will be ridiculed for this in the land of Egypt. Have mercy, O Lord. Well, friends, may it be a good and blessed Lord's Day for you. and May He refresh you, body, mind, and soul today as you rest in Him. Good day to you, in Jesus' name, and Godspeed.